0: Are you feeling lost or stuck on your spiritual journey? Do you want to live a life with a greater purpose in Christ? Well, you are in the right place. Today, we will be discussing how to develop a rule of life centered around Jesus that will guide you towards a fulfilling and purposeful walk with God. But before you hit pause or skip ahead, let me tell you this. Developing a rule of life around Jesus, it's not just another self-help strategy. It's a life-changing approach that can transform every aspect of your existence. So if you're serious about pursuing a purposeful life in Christ, you don't want to miss out on the insights and practical tips we will be sharing today. Trust me, by the end of this episode, you'll have a clear understanding of of how to develop a rule of life that will propel you towards your God-given destiny. So stay tuned because we're about to jump right Welcome to the Builders Project Podcast, where we believe every person is a project that God is building. I'm your host, David Narvaez, and I am here to help you build your life on Jesus and follow his word, his will, and his way. So here we are. Welcome to episode 10 of the Builders Project Podcast. We have officially hit 10 episodes. We are doing some things out here in the world, kind of, as much as we can. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, this episode, I promise you, uh, you're going to want to stick around to the end because at the very end, I'm going to help you in your own life develop a rule. And you're like, well, what is this rule? What is this rule of life that you keep talking about? We are going to get in it. But we need to talk about a few things leading up to it in order for you to be able to have a proper perspective on your life, a proper perspective on your life. Faith. So let's start here by making this point that balance is not the ideal life. Let me say that again. Balance is not the ideal life. Life now maybe to the world the world will tell you yeah you need to make sure you have a balanced life you need to make sure you have all of these things in this in the right you gotta uh, invest this much amount into your family you have to invest this much amount into your job you have to amount this this amount of work into your career and this amount of work into church and you need to make sure that everything is balanced in this perfect way but that's not a what a true follower of Christ does, because here's what happens. Balance, when we look at life in that way, that everything needs to be balanced, it tends to compartmentalize our faith. It tends to compartmentalize our faith. It blinds us to the fact that God is immensely interested in every single moment. I had a conversation with a friend, I remember years ago, and he was somebody that had grown up in the church. He wasn't really following Jesus at the time, but we were just having an honest conversation. We were just talking about it. And I remember we got into the the background of his own church experience and his own perspective on God. And I remember what he said to me. His perspective on God is that God was not interested in him, that God was not interested in in the details of his life, he was just some being in the cosmos that was so all outside of reality, I don't even know if he cares about me. And that's the way he viewed God. And when you view God in that way, it's toxic. And you might not view God like that, right? You might view God as an as personal, but I, I feel like most people view God, even if they do view him personal, they view him in a way where he's only personal on Sundays. They view God, their relationship with God in a way that hey, I have to make sure everything is balanced. So hey, I'ma put God in the box on Sunday. I'm up till around two PM. And then I have I take a little break, I go and do my own thing, and then maybe Sunday night I might have a Bible study, maybe Wednesday. And so when we're focused on this idea of balanced, what it tends to do is it tends to put God in a box. And when God is in a box, he can't work right. When God is in a box, he cannot impact our lives in the way that he wants to. And the way that we want him to, we want God to be intimate in our lives. We want God to be close. We want God to be so endowed in every single area of our lives because we want his blessings. But yet when it comes down to life, when you view it as balance, it steals God of his glory. And so that's why I love this verse in Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness focus on jesus first and all these things will be added to you it doesn't seem like jesus is talking about balance here he's talking about focus he's talking about priorities he's talking about being so consumed with what god is doing that you're no longer trying to figure out how to balance all these things you're focused on jesus and if you focus on jesus you focus on the kingdom these things will fall into place Because Jesus is the ultimate foundation of our lives. And so I don't want you to be thinking about, hey, how can I be more balanced? I want you to think, how am I compartmentalizing God in my life? Because if we do that, we are putting him outside of the most intimate and important parts of our life. And it is a detriment to our faith. So next point, the quest for balance lacks the notion that life is bigger than ourselves. The quest for balance lacks the notion that life is bigger than ourselves. Think about it. If you're so focused on trying to balance all of these things, then what you're saying is I am the center of my universe, and I need to make sure that I have a slice of God in there, a slice of work in there, a slice of family in there, and what that does is it puts puts the focus on us. It puts the focus on ourselves and removes God because we are so focused on trying to put ourselves in the center by balancing our lives that we're not even focused on the bigger picture. We're not even focused on the kingdom of God. We're not even focused on seeking first his righteousness. We are focused on balancing ourselves. Jesus wasn't worried about balance. He was worried about seeking his kingdom. And what it does is it lacks the call of sacrifice and self-denial. That's why I love this verse in Matthew sixteen twenty-five. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Mark eight thirty-four to 35, it's a similar thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. And then in luke's passage in luke 9 to 23 he says it this way he said if anyone will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily take up his cross daily and follow me whoever would whoever will find himself life whoever loses life. okay so that whole concept lacks balance the only thing that is balanced is the fact that jesus is the foundation you are putting your life on his foundation you are building your life on him everything else flows from there and so when, if we get so focused on how can I better balance my life, we are going to be out of disorder for the design that God has called us to do. That's not what we are supposed to do. And so what balance does, third point here, balance paradigms assume our disorder is ic- external. When we think about balance, the idea, the concept, it assumes that our disorder is external, but the real disorder is internal. It's not external. So when we think about this, what we need to realize is that God is more focused on our internal well-being. And when we think about the passage of, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. It's an internal denial that manifests itself into external things. So if you internally deny yourself, you're no longer worried about how much money is in the bank. You're not anxious about that because even before that passage where jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness the whole passage in matthew chapter 6 is talking about don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear for your father knows that you need them if he can clothe the lily of the fields if he can take care of even the birds of the air how much more will he take care of you that's the precursor to that verse and so jesus is focused on changing your internal first and when we're focusing on trying to be balanced we're assuming our disorder is external. How can I juggle all of these different things in my life, school and relationships and, and money and, and learning and education and family, vaca- and family vacations and rest? and How do we balance all these things? That's not what God's trying to do. He wants you to first focus on the internal. That's why we even see what the fruits of the Spirit are. What are the fruits of the Spirit? We see in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. On, On those verses you just heard that you're seeing right now, What does that have to do with the external? Is there a single word about the fruit of the spirit that has to do with these external things you need to balance? It doesn't. A well-ordered heart is what it is about. It's not about external balance. It's about internal transformation. And when we focus on that, I promise you, we are going to begin... To shift all of these other areas of our life, it is about putting Jesus in such a foundational and pivotal place that he begins to affect everything. And at first, it's really, really painful. Can I, can I be honest? The, the first time, the first time when we decide to put Jesus in that place, it causes causes us a lot of pain. It causes us a lot of frustration in the moment, right? Temporarily, because typically, when it comes to even sin in our lives. When it comes to things that we're not walking in obedience for, we're getting temporary pleasures but long-term pain. And on the flip side, you're getting short-term pain but long-term pleasure when it comes to seeking the Lord. And so it's gonna make a significant flip in your life. And so here's the next point, and I mentioned it a second ago: the true quest. And we're getting we're getting to the rule of life. Keep staying tuned. We're gonna get there. But we're we're I'm making a case for why we need to make some paradigm shifts before we get to that place. The true quest is a well-ordered heart. A well-ordered heart. What does that mean? It is loving the right thing to the right degree in the right way with the right love. Loving the right thing to the right degree in the right way with the right love. So what does that look like? It means when we have a well-ordered heart, we are pursuing things with certain levels of love. We are pursuing things with certain levels of priority. And Jesus is the center of that. In order to have a well-ordered heart, we need Jesus to be everything. We need the Holy Spirit to be everything. And and when the heart is well-ordered, we start being free from sin and increasing the desire to, of sin i love this verse in proverbs it's, it's a phenomenal verse it says this in proverbs four twenty three. it says keep your heart with all vigilance in other words keep your this thing that controls your life some people might say heart sometimes it can be translated as your soul this existence this being keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows so what does it flow the springs of life. In other words, the things of life, the pains of life, the desires of life, everything flows from your heart. So what this wisdom literature in Proverbs is saying is guard it, guard your heart, protect your heart because out of your heart flows all of these other things. The thing is, we so quickly want to start fixing our external things in God's like, but you haven't addressed the heart first. You're doing it backwards. We're trying to fix our relationships. We're trying to fix our finances. We're trying to fix our uh, our business problems. Uh, we're trying to fix our relationship, whatever. We're trying to start with the external first. It's actually interesting. Um, I, I've been on this recent kind of, uh, how do I call it? This little binge watching uh, Dave Ramsey. If you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, he is probably the number one, finance guru person um I, I maybe not the number one but he he's huge um and the way that he has taught people is basically get out of debt and stay out of debt that your income is your number one wealth building tool maybe one day mark my words i'm recording this podcast may 11th thursday night at 11 37 p.m i know shouldn't record at night but i couldn't go to sleep so i'm recording a podcast. Um, this is when I'm recording it. I'd love to have Dave Ramsey. Um, Lord, if you would open up a door for Dave Ramsey to get on the Builders Project podcast, um, I will give you all the glory because I don't have connections like that. But the Lord, uh, he does have those connections. So anyways, but I've been on this Dave Ramsey binge. And it's interesting because the first thing he addresses really is the person's heart. He addresses this heart of consumerism, this heart of of undisciplined mismanagement, undis- not being able to discipline yourself. His favorite <laughs> his favorite uh, phrase is beans and rice, rice and beans. You better not go to a restaurant unless you're washing dishes. That's what he says. And it's, it's true because if he can give you all of these principles, but these principles aren't going to make any difference if you don't rearrange your heart. And so what he does is he tries to light a fire under these people's behinds and says, listen, in order for you to get out of debt, you need to take this seriously. You need to be fervent in your decisions. You need to be able to deny yourself, deny your pleasures, deny these things that you want because you have a mission at hand and your mission is to walk out in financial freedom. And in the same way, that's what we're talking about here, about freedom for you, purpose for you, calling for you. In order for you to get to that place where you feel like and you, and you can see God's blessings in your life and, and, and coming to fruition is you need to be able to reorder your heart. And it starts with the process of self-denial. It starts with if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses, whoever lets go, whoever denies himself will save his life. And in the process of that, you're keeping your heart with all vigilance because you're guarding your heart because you know from your heart flows the problems, flows the issues, flows the things of life, the things of life. And so we're not worried about balance. We're worried about ordering your heart in the right way. And when you do that, when you do that we we start to become free from the burden of sin and we increasingly oppose it we increasingly start loving Jesus in a way because we know there is no other thing that can provide greater pleasure than him psalm 16:11 is a beautiful verse you make known to me the plans of life in your fullness in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore it's seeking the Lord, loving Jesus in such a real and authentic way that everything else pales in comparison to his glory. That's what we're trying to do here. And so enriching our lives is done through this, the clear perception of God's presence in daily routine living. Enriching our lives is done through the clear perception of God's presence in in daily routine living. So earlier we talked about compartmentalizing your life. What that means is you're putting God in a, in a box. And if you want to enrich your life and, and fill your life with so much beauty, so much purpose, so much fulfillment, you need to have a clear perception that God is with you in every moment of your day. and every single routine, Every single conversation, every single person, every single moment. So the story I told earlier about my friend who believed that God was some being out that was far away, did not care, was not worried, that's a lie. God is with you in every single moment. And an enriched life in Christ means recognizing his presence in every given moment. Now, does that mean we are going to feel his presence every single time manifested? No, we're not. That's just not realistic. No different than your spouse or friend or girlfriend or whoever you're in a relationship with, boyfriend. Just because they are walking next to you doesn't mean you're holding their hand, right? You don't hold their hand every single time. Now, I'll say this. Earlier in the relationship, you tend to hold hands a lot. You tend to hold hands as much as you can. You're like, man, I haven't held a hand because I've been... (laughs) I've been uh, not in a relationship for like eight years, so I'm going to hold that hand as much as I can. But as you start growing in a relationship, as you start uh, knowing each other in, in a greater depth, that physical contact isn't going to be as present as before. And you'll go through seasons of life. I don't want to go off topic here, but you will go through seasons of life where God will release his presence from you because he wants you to trust that he is present even without the feeling. Separate conversation. We're not going there right now. So in order for you to have a rich life, it's done through the clear perception of God's presence in daily living. So growing in Christ, actually, I want to say this first. This I love this verse in Psalm 34, eight. It says this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I love this verse, taste in See. we live in a culture that loves food. I'm a foodie. I, I'm, I love food, okay? Um, the idea, I, I've always loved tasting things. So one of my favorite things to do actually when I go to a restaurant is to ask the waiter. And I, listen, I was a waiter for six years, okay? So I never minded answering this question. Some waiters don't like it. I thought it was fun. But my question that I always ask is, hey, what would you recommend? And, and just so you know, I'm not one of those people <laughs> that when they, I ask what do I recommend, that I then get something completely different, that would trigger me. Okay, There has been numerous times I would give one, two, three, sometimes even four different things, and the person's like, you know what, I'm just going to get the same thing I get every single time. Then why'd you ask? Okay, That's not me. When I go places, I actually take people's. I usually ask for two opinions, um, and I almost always pick one of them. I mean, that's my wife. I, I love doing it. Why? I love being able to taste the different foods. I love being able to taste the different flavors and get different people's perspectives on on food. And the reason why is because I know once I taste it, I'll know how good it is. And I might order it next time I show up. In the same way, when we, God is inviting us to taste and see for us to have an experience with him that is so real, that is so fervent, that is so enriching that you say, I have to go back. John chapter seven, Jesus talks about him being the living water. It is the source of all fulfillment and contentment and peace. Everything we seek in this life is found in Christ. And Jesus is saying, come and taste and see. If you begin to order your life around me, I promise you you will recognize you will never have a clearer vision For your life, you will never have a greater level of fulfillment. You will never walk with a greater level of purpose. You will never see things in as deep of a perspective. You will never have the type of comfort that you have when you go through trials and tribulations. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Blessed is the man. Then there's blessings. Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the man who takes refuge who takes refuge in him, who finds their safety, who finds their home, who finds their existence, everything in him. So we're getting towards the end of the podcast. And and I promise you that I wanted to give you this, a rule of life, a rule of life. So if you want to grow in Christ likeness, it requires a rule of life. (laughs) And what it is, it's something that is done two things regularly, and it involves asking questions to find a strategy. So something done regularly, consistently, on a level of frequency. And it involves asking questions to find a strategy. So let me give you some of those questions, okay? How and when will you pray? How and when will you pray? How... Will you handle money in a way that draws you closer to God? Some of you, as soon as I mentioned finances, y'all just had a heart attack because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you, have you asked yourself, do you handle money in a way that draws you closer to God? Ooh, that's a scary one. No, God doesn't care. God does care. He doesn't care about the actual money. He cares about your heart. He cares about what you treasure. He cares about what you are building your life upon. How have you handled your money in a way that has drawn you closer to God? And for most of us that are listening, the answer is nothing. And not just nothing, but we might have actually handled our money in a way that pulls us away from God. Spending money on beers and alcohol and drugs and going out to just entertain. I'll say this. There are a lot of Christians that believe they're true Christians— and I'll, I'll put questions in quotation marks there. Um, there's a lot of Christians that are gonna entertain their way into hell. There's a lot of Christians that are gonna go through so many Netflix binges, so many sporting events, so many video game sessions all the way into the outer darkness. And they're not even going to think otherwise. They're entertaining their way into hell. And what that starts is how you handle your money. How you handle your money, it does it draw you closer to God? Third question, how can I approach work in a way that will help Christ to be formed in me? How can I approach work in a way that will help Christ to be formed in me? Do you look at your job in a way that will help you grow in Christ? You're like, all these different things you might not have thought about. And the reason you haven't thought about it is because you haven't had a well-ordered heart. I'll even say this. The way we approach our work, the way we approach those that we are with, is the way that I truly believe that defines who we are as Christ followers. If you are in a secular job, you are called to ministry still. Ephesians 4 talks about equipping the saints. That is, you. If you are a Christ follower, you are a saint. Equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. You are a minister of the gospel if you are a Christ follower. And your first ministry, besides your spouse, if you are married, is at your workplace. Here's the truth. Your pastor, your leaders, those at your church, those people are not going to be able to reach those in your workplace like you can. They just can't. They don't have the connections. They don't have the relationship. They don't have the time. And so you are responsible for those at your workplace. So the question is, how can you approach work in a way that will help Christ be formed in you? Start with evangelism. I would actually, let me give two clear points, evangelism and work ethic. You are never going to be able to lead somebody to Christ if people know that you're lazy at your job because you are a representative of Jesus at your work. And so if people know you are, that's why I want to say this. I feel like a lot of Christians, the reason they don't announce to their workplace why they're Christians is because they would be ashamed because they know that People would see them and say, wow, you're a Christian and that's how you're acting? You're a Christian and that's your work ethic? That's how people are going to view you. Another question, how are you involved in the Christian community, such as worship, fellowship, or confession? How are you involved? Are you involved in the church body? Are you in a small group? There's no excuse not to be touched and tapped in to the body of Christ. You need to be linked to a community. You need to do this walk with other people. Lastly, how can you fill your daily tasks with a sense of the presence of God, maybe during your lunch break, instead of scrolling on Instagram or scrolling on TikTok, you decide to pray. You decide to read a spiritual growth book. You decide to listen to a podcast. You decide to read your Bible. You decide to have a conversation uh, with those that you're with. When you wake up in the morning, you decide to pray. When you go to bed, you decide to read some Bible verses. How can you fill your daily tasks with a sense of the presence of God? Not just spiritual tasks, but even the most. How can you walk into a grocery store and feel the presence of God? Have a sense for the presence of God. Also, if you're listening or watching this on YouTube, you'll notice this is my dog, Ted. Say hello, Ted. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not going to be able to see him. Say hi. Hi. Anyways. Oop. <laughs> Anyways. Um, how are you doing that? How can you fill the things that you're already doing with the presence of God. It's a level of mindfulness. Um, So here's the rule of life. It's living in Jesus's name, which means doing things in his character. So the rule of life is living in the name of Jesus. I'm going to explain that to you in a second, but that's what it is. The rule of life is to live in the name of Jesus. And what that starts with is rearranging your life according to his life. Rearranging your life, rearranging your heart according to his life, according to his heart. So, what that means is people that follow Jesus are going to seek first the kingdom of God. People that follow Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jebus, <laughs> people that follow Jebus are those who intentionally arrange their lives around spiritual transformation, around following Jesus in their pocketbook, in their job, in their marriage, in their relationships. Every aspect of their life is going to be intentionally arranged around Jesus, around spiritual transformation. In other words, living how Jesus would live. And I'm going to get into the details about how you can develop your own rule of life. But I want to ask you, if you're listening to this or watching this, What area do you need to arrange your life around God? What area do you need to arrange your life around Jesus, around spiritual training? Is it a lack of perspective? I feel like a lot of people, they might not view life in that way because they've compartmentalized Jesus for so long. But this is where God is calling you to that. You want the blessings. You want the purpose. You want the fulfillment. You want the clarity. You want all of these things. But are you willing to surrender to get those things? Are you willing to surrender to give, to give all that God wants you to give? Um, I don't know if I told this story before, but there was a period of time where uh, I I had just gotten baptized. And I was not close to God. I was frustrated that God, I felt God was not present in my life. And I decided to crash my vehicle because at 18 years old, I was 18 all right, being stupid, I linked the fact that God's presence was close whenever I went through struggle. So I thought, I'm going to go through struggle in order for God's presence to be close. That was my mindset. Stupid. But I knew I knew that life was found in Christ. Life was found through the Holy Spirit. So I wanted him. And I couldn't understand why I felt like he was so detached. And so I, crazy, I went around a roundabout multiple, multiple times, ended up crashing my vehicle, um, which was like my prized possession at the time. No license, all right, license, but no registration, no insurance, right? Just being a hooligan. Police showed up. My dad bailed me out in terms of not jail, but bailed me out of like, oh, officer, it's my fault. You're right. Blame it on me. Just don't tow my son's car. Um, That's what he did. Did not do. I'm sorry. So he let me go. I go back home, still felt dead inside. And I was asking God, Lord, why are you not close to me? And he said this, have you forgot about your sin? The Holy Spirit John 16 makes it clear that the Holy Spirit's purpose is to convict us of our sin. And I had was trying to arrange my life around these other things. But most importantly, I was not living righteously. I was not following Jesus. I wasn't following his commandments. I was living like a non-Christian. I was living like a carnal Christian. And the shift that I want you to make is that if you are walking in spiritual power, you will not fall into sin like that. You will not fall to the schemes of the devil you might have fallouts you might have instances but you will not get to a place where for months and months at a time you fall into deep depression you fall into deep grief we're not talking about we're not talking about instances we're talking about six months a year multiple years of a lack of purpose i do not want that for you and so i'm gonna help you write down your own rule of life and then we're gonna wrap this podcast up so It really goes back to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So in the Bible, names are often reflected um, of a person's character. So to do something in the name of Jesus and Jesus' name means to do it in a way consistent with his character. Do it in a way that Jesus himself would. Do it in a way that Jesus himself would. Every moment is an opportunity to live out in Jesus' name. All the everyday stuff of life can be filled with his presence, if you are. Start by thinking about what it would mean to do each of these activities in Jesus' name. And this is found on page 205 of The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. Waking up, greeting those you see first thing in the morning, eating, driving, working outside the home, or caring for your children, shopping, watching television, doing household tasks, reading, going to sleep, all of those things. What would it mean to live those things out in the name of Jesus? And I want you to keep it simple. Focus on Jesus' presence with you as you go through these seemingly inconsequential moments of the day. Keep directing your thoughts back to him. Ask for his help or for his guidance. That is what it means to have a rule of life. What is that rule of life for you? I believe this should be for everybody. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. And if it's a Bible verse that really speaks to you, I want you to summarize it in your own words so you can understand it. Memorize the verse too, but I want you to be able to 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 clearly write it out. What is that rule of life? If we're all if we're all made to give glory to God in everything that we do, then isn't that what we should do? and even those moments that might not seem in that might seem inconsequential that might not seem significant they are significant to the lord last point and we'll close out here god is doing 7 billion experiments at once trying to see how far will this person allow him to carry this hour what do you mean 7 billion experiments There are seven billion people on this earth and God is searching for a people. God is searching for a remnant. God is searching for those that would worship him by the spirit, worship him in truth. God is seeking those that would love him in such a real way that they would recognize they are not of this world. They are not of this kingdom. They are not of all of these inconsequential, fleshly, carnal things, and Jesus would be the center. God is looking for a people that would carry his presence, his peace, and his power in such a real way that people would see a light, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, and people would say, what is that? What is in that person's eye? What is in that person's heart? What is with that person's behavior, the way they carry themselves, the purpose that they are walking in, the level of faith that they have? I want that. And you can point them to this person called Jesus who ripped you out of darkness, saved you, put you in his marvelous light, and said, hey, I'm not leaving you for nothing. I saved you for a purpose. I called you out of darkness, and I called you into the light into a greater way of living, to be a testimony of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for people that would just put him on Sunday. He's looking for those that would love him so fervently that lives would be changed because of their obedience to him. Are you gonna be that person out of the 7 billion people? The Bible says wide is the path of destruction and those who find it are many. Narrow is the path to life, and those who find it are few. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God's looking all over the earth to give strong support, to give him to, to give his presence to, to give his purpose to, to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Those who heart, who seeks him, who loves him, who wants to serve him. That's who he's looking for. 7 billion people. And there's that one group out there that's going to love Jesus in such a real way that everything else pales in comparison because they've seen him. They've seen Jesus. I pray that person is going to be you. As you guys know, thank you for tuning in on this episode of the Builders Project Podcast. Um, I'm your host, David Narvaez, but it's not about David. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Love you all.